Amen. You can be seated. Good morning, everybody. Woo! We are in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. If you turn there, if you need a Bible, raise your hand. Anybody need a Bible? Raise your hand if you need a Bible. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. We've got a couple of announcements. Um, we've got the Agape Feast next week. We like to do on the first Sunday of every month. And, and so we do a barbecue down at the beach there. And it's a, down at Anini. So if you go to the, the very far left pavilion, that's where we'll be, be meeting. Um, it's a barbecue. It's an opportunity for you to get to know the other service that comes after you guys. And so it's a time to just meet and fellowship, break bread. It's a great time to just uh, grow in our relationships with each other as we fellowship with each other. And it's fun for the kids. We've got games and things to do. And so you can also bring food. Um, if anybody's interested in bringing a side dish or dessert, uh, that would be greatly appreciated. We've got sign-up sheets for that. Uh, I think they'll be out there in the lobby. Uh, just put down what you're going to uh, bring and, and maybe scan over the list and see if, if there's like five other people bringing what you're bringing. So, you know, just to make sure we don't, you know, like have 30 salads and, and no sashimi. Um, <laughs> So yeah, that'll be a lot of fun. That'll be next week. Uh, if you want to help set up, that'd be awesome. After the second service, around 11 or so, 11.30, they head down there and they set up. Um, that would be great too. So uh, sign-ups for service and ministry. If you guys are interested in getting involved, we got a lot of needs. We've, we need, kid, we need uh, teachers for children's ministry. And uh, we only have children's ministry in the second service. This service needs uh, teachers for that, so uh, we'd like to be able to provide that. So if you're interested in that, sign up, come see me. We would love to plug you in. It's an honor to serve the Lord. Amen? Well, we are in First Thessalonians chapter 3 as we're moving through this book. It is a tremendously beneficial book. Um, real awesome stuff that's happened here. Paul being in Thessalonica for only three Saturdays, so probably three weeks, maybe a little over three weeks before he was run out of town. And so as we come to this portion of Scripture, um, I think this part of the Scripture is really needful for us because a lot of folks read through chapter 3 and they really don't get anything out of it. And uh, you don't hear much, I mean, it's not like a main talkable sermon for for people to choose what what do you want to choose from you know and it's not it's not one of those popular ones but there is really so much in there that we can take away because what we're going to find out is that the great apostle paul is just like you and me and he gets discouraged you ever get discouraged you ever get depressed you ever get anxious ever worry feel beat down sometimes we think the men of the Bible, these great men of the Bible, they just like they never had any problems. It's like no matter what they faced, they were strong. They never were discouraged. They they never worried. They just trusted the Lord. And we almost kind of bring that idea across the pulpit. But in reality, they were just like you and me. They had times of doubts and worry, discouragement, depression, ready to give up. You ever felt like quitting? I have. I remember, I can't tell you how many times I felt on a Sunday night, I'm quitting, only to repent on Monday morning and sign back up again. Because the enemy messes with your mind. To pastors, he says, ah, you ain't doing anybody any good. No one's listening to you anyway. And you, you get that in your head, and you're like, why am I even up here? 
Nobody's listening. And you've got to identify that as the whispers of the enemy. Because that's not what God says. God says, no, I, I, I've called you to teach the Word of God. That's what I'm called to do. So whether you're here or you're not here, whether you agree or don't agree, whether I make you feel joyful or you get upset with me, this is what i got to do. This is what I'm called to do. And the rest is uh, left to God to work in your heart to see if that changes you or not. Because we're either going to turn towards Him or away from Him. And if we turn away... Um, that doesn't work. <laughs> uh, Mr. Backslider right here in my life, uh, that didn't help me at all. You know, you ever felt like you were saying, you know, Lord, where are you? Gosh, you feel so far away. Well, um, he didn't walk away. I did. He says, draw near to me and I'll draw near to you. That means I walked away. But if I draw close to him, he promises me he will draw close to me. So it's up to me. How much of Jesus do you want? Well, if you say you want a whole bunch, then you're going to be in this word and you're going to be talking to him every day because there's power in his word. There is only one thing that Jesus puts above his name, and that's his word. And we're going to find out the word is the answer to our problems today. The word is the answer to getting rid of our discouragement, our depression, our anxiety and our worry. But if you're unwilling to get into his word and you're unwilling to talk with him on a regular basis, then don't be surprised if nothing ever works out for you. This is the key to success. Why do you think it's so hard to pray and read? Because this is the answer. Why do you think the enemy always distracts you? Because this is the answer. Why does the enemy want to keep you from talking to the Lord and reading your Bible, because this is the answer for success. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, let's begin by reading verses 1 through 5. We're going to see that um, Paul's a little stressed. He's worried. He's got a shepherd's heart. He's worried about the well-being of the sheep. And I think if there's a pastor who doesn't care for the sheep, he shouldn't be at the pulpit. A shepherd not only cares for the sheep, but feeds the sheep. And you can't be a shepherd and just feed the sheep and not care for them. You can't be just a pastor and care for the sheep and not feed them. You have to care for them and feed them because that's what God's called us to do. So let's look at what's going on there in chapter 3, verse 1. He says, Paul says, Therefore, when we could no longer endure it or forbear, couldn't take it anymore, we thought it good to be left in Athens alone and sent Timothy, our brother and minister of God and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ to establish you and to encourage you concerning your faith that no one should be shaken by these afflictions for yourselves know that we were, this was appointed to us. We were appointed to this. For in fact, we told you before when we were with you that we would suffer tribulation just as it happened. And you know, for this reason, when I could no longer endure it, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter had tempted you and our labor might be in vain. Father, we thank you for the word of God. Lord, we, we need this right now because we live in a nutty world. So settle down our hearts and speak to us by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I entitled the message, Discouragement Turned to Joy. I think that pretty much describes me, and maybe you, because things happen in our life, and man, we get discouraged. And we've got to reel ourselves in and come back into the presence of the Lord and cry out to God to return to our joy. Because left alone, my worries and my discouragements will, will tear me up. They will chew me up and spit me out. And there seems like there's constantly something hitting us. Oh, you know, every day you just get through something and it's like something else comes. And you're like, are you kidding me? And we get discouraged. And God wants us to keep our eyes focused on the heavens. So He wants us to keep our eyes on Him. And basically, I heard it once say, keep your eyes six feet and higher. Because if I keep them six feet and lower, I'm going to get discouraged. Because this world will beat you down. The enemy will beat you down. And all you got to do is remember of who you believe, who you believe in. And that he's able to keep that which you've committed to until that day that we're going to be in heaven one day. We're going to have new bodies. We're going to be out of this place. This is not our home. We're pilgrims passing through. So don't get distracted by the bombs that are going off all around you. Look at the bigger picture. What am I supposed to do? What's my target, Lord? Spread the gospel. Spread the gospel. Hit as many people as you can with the gospel. And then I'm going to take you out of here. But there's going to be bombs going off everywhere. I'm going to be under attack. That's all right. Behold, I am with you. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I got your hand. I'm walking you through it. There's a rainbow at the end of that storm. There's refined gold at that fiery trial. There's light ahead from the darkness that you might be in right now. And God wants to minister your hearts today and give you confidence in Him. Put your trust in I don't know what you're going through, but I think we're all going through something. But you've got to draw close to God. That's, that's the key. Because everybody gets discouraged, even the great men of the Bible. I mean, think about it. Moses was discouraged. Elijah was discouraged. He gets that great victory, right? On Carmel, Mount Carmel, wipes out 450 false prophets and then runs from a skirt. Jezebel. She threatens his life. He's, woohoo, and he runs. And God's like, what are you doing? He goes, I'm the only one left. He's, the Lord's like, what? Wake up. And how many times God has said that to me? Wake up. Quit your little pouting. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. I got Jesus living in me, the author and the finisher of my faith. I can do all things through Christ. I'm not limited to anything. It all depends on my submission to him. How much of him am I getting? Am I giving him 50%? 70? 90? 99? Am I giving it all? Because if I give it all, guess what? He's going to do amazing things. And there's going to be times you're going to be challenged, you're going to be discouraged, you're going to worry because His ways aren't your ways. And He puts you in a situation and you're like, how can this work for good? And then He brings you through the storm and you see the results and you go, oh yeah, that's what you were doing. I didn't get that. Wow. But you got to trust Him. 
because he's going to put you in a place, in a position that you wouldn't go on your own. He's going to use you to blow minds because he likes to take the least of things to blow the minds of the so-called wise. But we get discouraged. How, how do you think Noah felt? Come on, think about it. Probably had a population about 8 billion like we have right now. Right? Everybody lived to be eight, 900 years old back then. There was, there was thought to be sort of an ice canopy that separated space from our atmosphere, which gave it a controlled environment so we didn't have the UVs and the disease like we have today. People lived to be eight, 900 years old. And then the earth, under the earth, had fountains of water. And the earth didn't produce rain. It says in Genesis that a moisture came up every morning from under the ground to water everything. So they had never seen rain. And God is, is coming to Noah and saying, listen, this, this world's out of control. The fallen angels have come down. They've taken the daughters of men as wives. And now we've got all these half-breed, angelic, demonic beings that are part human. And, and, and can you imagine living in a world where only you and your family were righteous in the eyes of God? You think you got a challenge on the North Shore? Can you imagine that? Having like 8 billion creatures, people, humans, demonic beings all around your family of eight. And you're trying to stay pure for the Lord. And God comes in, He goes, You know what? I'll tell you what, something, Noah, guess what? I'm going to have to bring judgment on this place. It's nuts. So, what I need you to do is I need you to build a boat. You know, and he's like, why is that, Lord? And he goes, well, it's going to rain. Now, get this. No doubt he's like, what's rain? <laughs> well, it's water falling from the sky. Water from the Because he'd never seen that before. And God says, yeah, and I'm going to bring a flood. And, it's, and, and the, I'm going to open up the heavens and the fountains of the, of the deep. And I'm just going to swallow this whole place up from top to bottom. You're going to build a boat. How big's the boat? 170 yards long. Almost two football fields. Can you imagine? Eight people. No Home Depot. No Aloha Lumber. No Hansador. No milling. No tree service. You, your three sons, and their wives. Talk about the wisdom of God to be able to do that. Crazy. But how's this? You think you would get discouraged? It took him 120 years to do it. <laughs> right? Okay, so, but let's put it into perspective. Everybody else hates God. So they come by. This is like an ongoing thing, 120 years. I mean, well, hey, what do you want to do this weekend? I don't know. Let's go make fun of Noah. Grab a kegger, get some lounge chairs. We'll park our trucks, have a little trailer party, get the barbecue going and mock them. Do you think that was what was taking place? I think so. What are you doing, Noah? I'm building a boat. Why? It's going to rain. What? Yeah, there's going to be a flood. God's going to judge the earth. Need to turn to the Lord. You're nuts. For 120 years. You're nuts. You're crazy. And then all of a sudden, one day, Noah, probably discouraged, but one day, he feels raindrops on his face. 
and then more. And then it starts dripping faster. And then it starts pouring. And then it's a torrential downpour. And God says, get in the ark. And Noah and his family get in the ark, and it says God closed it. And, and I, I can only imagine how many people were running up and beating on the ark. Let us in. We believe you now. And they were swallowed up and perished. He did the will of God, but do you think that that didn't come without discouragement? Sometimes it's discouraging. I don't want to wait 120 years to see the fruit. I don't want to labor for a long time and be mocked for what I'm doing. I, I just don't have the patience that God has. But I'm so glad that he has more patience than me because I probably wouldn't be here if he didn't have that patience that he has. And Paul was a godly man. God, God used Paul tremendously, but Paul is human just like us and experienced the discouragements and, and worried. We, we see here how he worried tremendously about these Thessalonians that he knew only three weeks. But he saw a move of the Holy Spirit in Thessalonica. He saw God move in such a way that they were able to start a church and point, appoint elders. And, and, but then he got ran out of town. Discouraged. Worrying. The heart of a shepherd. Because sometimes we don't, we don't look at Paul like that. Sometimes we think Paul had it so much more together than we do. Boy, that guy, he knew where he was going. He knew what he was doing. He never worried. He, he never doubted. He never felt defeated. No, he did. He did. When Paul was in Corinth, he went from Thessalonica, got chased out to Berea, then went to Berea, got chased out of there, then went down to Athens. And, and down in Athens, he went over to Corinth, and he got to Corinth, and he started preaching, and he's thinking to himself, okay, this is like, okay, I see what's happening right now. This is the part where I get the snot beat out of me. And thrown in prison, or both. And he was scared. How do I know? Because in Acts 18.9, it says that the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by a vision, and he said, do not be afraid. Why did Jesus tell Paul not to be afraid? Because he's afraid. You can be honest with God where you're at. He says, do not be afraid, but speak and do not keep silent, for I am with you and no one will attack you or hurt you, for I have many people in this city. God knew that there was many people that were going to come to the Lord in Corinth. And, and, but he had to come to Paul and say, listen, no one's going to hurt you. You're okay. This is not where the beatings begin again. Remember, he got just beat to a pulp in Philippi. He knows that how it works. He preaches the message. The crowd gets ruffled up. Get ready for stripes. He's in Corinth going, it's going down. This is, this is the part where I get hurt. And God says, be not afraid. Speak. Don't be silent. No one's going to hurt you for I'm with you. Oh, yeah. Paul longing to preach in Jerusalem because those were his guys, right? He was the Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was the rising star of Israel. 
and he switched teams. And there was so much hatred, but he thought, hey, I can relate to these guys. They can relate to me. I can give them the message. They will listen to me. Remember when Jesus said a prophet's not welcome in his own country? That's so true. When you get saved, you go back, you try to tell your parents about your experience. They're like, oh, great, what's he into now? That's why God said, I'm going to send you, Paul, to the Gentiles and to kings. And, you know, you'll get your opportunity with the Jews. But you're going to the Gentiles because that was his, his main focus. And he longed to talk to his people. And so he's up there during one of the times of worship. And, and he, he gets a chance to share with them. And, and he's talking to them. And they're actually listening. He starts talking about his conversion experience and on the road to Damascus and that he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, a study under the Gamaliel. He persecuted the church. They're tracking, they're tracking, they're tracking. And then Jesus knocked me down and the Messiah is Jesus and they're tracking and they're tracking. And he, he told me to get up that he was going to use me and they're tracking. And then all of a sudden he says this bad word, Gentile. He said, God sending me to the Gentiles, and they flip out, and they want to kill him because they thought the Messiah was only coming for the Jews. What? Are you kidding me? The Gentiles, those dogs, those heathen? And they wanted to kill him, and, and the soldiers rescue him, and then he gives a, they, the, the officer gives him a chance to speak to the people. He speaks to him in Hebrew, and, and then they freak out again, and they want to kill him. And then 40 guys vow a vow that they won't eat or drink till he's dead. And the word gets to the captain of the guard, and they usher him out of there. But Paul, worried, not knowing what's going on, it says in Acts 23, 11, but, following, but the following night the Lord stood by him and said, be of good cheer. Why did God say to Paul, be of good cheer? Because he wasn't. Be of good cheer, Paul, for as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, so you must also bear witness at Rome. So in other words, what? Paul needed encouragement just like you and me. So how do you escape worry and discouragement and anxiety? The Word of God. It was the Word of God that spoke to Paul to bring him out of his dumps. It's the Word of God. You know, are, are you bummed out today? Read the Psalms. Do you need a little wisdom today? Read the Proverbs. You just need a little of everything? Jump in the Gospels. The Word of God is powerful. So Paul, worrying about the well-being of the Thessalonians, he says there in verse 2 that we sent Timothy, our brother, and minister of God and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ to establish you and to encourage you concerning your faith, that no one should be shaken by these afflictions, for you yourselves know that they were appointed, that we are appointed to this. And so in other words, Paul had let them know that serving God is not easy. Paul had let them know that serving the Lord and doing the ministry that Paul, Silas, and Timothy were doing 
comes with a price. That we will suffer for Jesus' namesake. Jesus told us we would have persecution here for His namesake. That we would have much tribulation. But He encourages us that He's overcome the world. And we put our trust and we keep our eyes on Him because this is not our home. And so though we'll have persecution and tribulation here, we keep our eyes on Jesus because He's going to finish the good work He started in you. In verse 1, Paul said he couldn't take it anymore. I can't forbear. I can't endure. I can't handle this anymore. I need to know how they're doing. Because Paul's thinking, listen, we got beaten Philippi, and then we came to Thessalonica, and they witnessed all the wounds on our body, and, and, but it didn't stop us from preaching the gospel. We stirred up Thessalonica so much that a group wanted to kill us, and we got ran out of town. And then we go to Berea, 50 miles away, and they, they hate us so much, they come to Berea to kill us. And so then they put Paul on a ship and sent him 270 miles south to Athens, and there they stopped following him. And Paul's in Athens going, oh man, if they did that to me, what are they doing to the church back home in Thessalonica? He had a heart for the people. So they can't take it anymore. And they sent Timothy. In verses 4 and 5 it says, For in fact we told you before when we were with you that we should suffer tribulation just as it happened, and you know for this reason when I could no longer endure it, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter had tempted you and our labor might be in vain. When you want to go forward for Jesus, the enemy will come in. Get yourself ready for it, and he won't take you by surprise. You want to change the way you act. You want to change the way you talk. Get ready for an attack. Get ready for someone to come alongside you and just be so abrasive, you lose your temper, and you start saying things and doing things you shouldn't be doing. That's how the enemy works. And Paul was so worried that in three weeks, how easy it would be to fall away from your faith. Just three weeks in the Lord. The sower, the parable of the sowers, it talks about the, the rocky soil. They received this, the word with all readiness, but there was no depth to their root because of the stones and the earth. And when tribulation came along, they fell away. Not a true conversion. It's so easy. Like, I want to serve Jesus. Then you get beat down. You go, I don't want to do this anymore. It's easier when I go back to the world. It's because the enemy doesn't want you to reach your friends now. So if he focuses the attack on you and it causes you to pull back and not share the gospel and not share the love of God, then you're no earthly good. God wants to use you boldly. Paul reminds him that we're going to suffer for our faith. Now, you and I don't really suffer. We think we do. Oh, you won't believe what they said. Get over it. You look at third world countries where people are being put to death for their faith. And they're, and they're still willing to go out there and preach the gospel. I mean, what's the worst the guy could do to me? Take my head off? Right to Jesus. Maybe that's why they have such boldness. I just want to get out of here. I'm going to be a little more bolder. 
But you know what? The, the, the biggest thing I get upset about with is people that say, you know, come to Jesus and everything will be just fine. That's not what the Bible says. Come to Jesus and everything will be fine when you get to heaven. But meanwhile, there's going to be a lot of tribulation. There's going to be persecution. The Bible tells us that it rains on the just and the unjust. That means good things and bad things happen to good people and bad people. Paul, knowing what Jesus showed him right at the start, still has doubts and discouragements. Jesus told him that, told Paul he was going to suffer for his name's sake. When Paul was converted on the road to Damascus, Paul got up from the experience. He was blind. They led him into the city for three days. He didn't eat and he didn't drink. He, didn't, he, he fasted. His mind was blown. He had the Holy Spirit now. And now he's thinking about all the Old Testament and it's all coming to light. That's Jesus. That's Jesus in Genesis. That's Jesus in Exodus. That's, wow. And then God goes to this guy, Ananias. He says, Ananias, I want you to go and pray over Saul of Tarsus that he might receive his sight. He's a vessel for me. And Ananias goes, whoa, Lord, are, are you sure you know what you're doing? You ever question God? He tells you, I want you to do this, and you're like, that's not a good idea, Lord. This guy is like persecuting your church. He's killing people. He's sending them to prison. And, and God just goes, go. Stop. Go. It's funny when we try to inform God. And so Ananias goes and he prays for Paul. And the Scripture says when God tells Ananias to go in Acts 9.15, the Lord said to Ananias, Go, speaking of Saul, go, he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. So Paul knew ahead of time that he was going to suffer for the name of Jesus. And he was in 100%. But still, being in 100%, still had his doubts and discouragements. Why? Because he's just like you and me. Paul, knowing all this, that he was going to suffer for his namesake, had, he had times of discouragement just like us. So in verse 5, he says, For this reason I could no longer endure it. I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter had tempted you and our labor might be in vain. He had such a shepherd's heart. He was concerned with their well-being. Because sometimes conflict in our lives will make us quit. Right? I had a problem with somebody in the church. I'm out of that church. Well, here's the problem. You're going to go to another church and have a problem there. Somebody's going to rub you wrong there. Why? We're human. Guys, this is not a museum for saints. It's a hospital for sinners. You're going to rub each other wrong. What defines us over other people is that we work it out. And I, I got to say, that's even tougher here on Kauai. Why? Because we know everybody's business. You know about people you don't even know. 
Hear about sons? Oh, yeah, I heard about that. Wow. This is a ruthless island when it comes to gossip. The coconut wireless. You know, there's a real danger when we're going through something to listen to the whispers of the enemy. Oh, does God really love you? If he loved you, he wouldn't let this happen. You're just trying to live for him and look how he repays you. Oh, yeah, we've all listened to that, haven't we? Paul was worried that they might listen to the whispers of the enemy, so he sends Timothy to make sure they're okay. And then Timothy returns, and you watch Paul's discouragement turn to joy. Check it out. Look at verse 6. But now that Timothy has come to us from you, and he's brought us good news of your faith and your love, and that you always have good remembrance of us, greatly desiring to see us as we also to see you. Therefore, brethren, in all our affliction and distress, we were comforted concerning you by your faith. For now we live if you stand fast in the Lord. For we we get, for what thanks can we render to God for you for all the joy with which you we rejoice for your sakes before our God night and day praying exceedingly that we may see your face and perfect what is lacking in your faith. How many months did he wait to hear that? How many months was he worried and discouraged? Because you know we're talking traveling you know like three hundred miles. By what? Donkey? Walking? Boats? Through hostile areas? Through the wilderness? And all of a sudden, his heartaches turned to joy. Oh man, we heard of your great faith. We heard that you're standing strong. We, we, we've learned that even though the attacks are coming on the church, you are, you are standing strong. You're enduring. And that you miss us as much as we miss you. Oh man, that is so exciting. Therefore, brethren, in all our affliction and distress, we were comforted concerning you by your faith. For now we live if you stand fast in the Lord. So comforted. You know, it's funny how just a word can change our countenance. Right? You know why that is? Because we were made in the image of God. And what's the most powerful thing that God has? His Word. He puts His Word above His name. He spoke everything into existence. There's power. We were made in His image. What's the strongest member of our body? The tongue. The vicious little animal that hides behind the den of teeth comes out whoosh. strongest member of the Bible uh, body strongest member of the body because why I'll tell you what words hurt more than actually getting hit somebody could say something to me and then tell me they're sorry but I'm scarred for life I'd rather be punched in the face I can live with that I can get over that but even when you forgive somebody you don't forget do you not gonna forget
Once you say something that's wrong, you can never reel it in. It's out there for all eternity. That's why God gives us two ears and one mouth. Be quick to listen, slow to speak. But it's amazing how powerful words are. Somebody that you thought loved you and then left you and your heart's broke, you can't sleep, you can't eat, you can't think. And then all of a sudden you get that phone call weeks later and they're like, I'm so sorry, I don't know what I was thinking, I was so stupid, forgive me, I love you. And you're, all of a sudden you're hungry, you're joyful. You get the phone call in the middle of the night, it's ICU at Wilcox. Your child got in a car accident. It doesn't look like they're going to make it. You're immediately just ruined. I, I've seen people in this situation just start throwing up. Racing to the hospital. Trying to get to. They get to the hospital. He's in surgery right now. We don't know what's going to happen. And you're just losing it and losing it. And then the doctor comes out and goes, surgery went good. He's going to make it. And you just change like that. That's the power of the word. A word can kill or bring life. In a moment. A word can change your whole countenance in a split second. And it's funny how just that news caused Paul to rejoice. Look at verse 11. Now he goes into a prayer for the church. Now may our God and Father Himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you that the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all just as we do to you so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all the saints. What a beautiful prayer. And that's really a prayer that we should be praying for each other, that we would abound more and more in love towards one another. Love covers a multitude of sin. The two greatest commandments, love the Lord with everything you got and love your neighbor as yourself. The key to success in a Christian walk is love. And the other prayer is that the Lord would establish their hearts blameless in holiness before our God and our Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all of His saints. Blameless and holy. How do you become greater in blamelessness and holiness? By having a relationship with God. You're only going to be blameless and holy by obeying. Oh, you're going to make mistakes. I get it. But you're not happy with those mistakes. And the more I obey, that process of sanctification is working in my life. Until one day when I'll be presented before Him, blameless, and holy. I'm looking forward to that. He says that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all of his saints. I like what he just, he can't stop talking about end times. He can't stop talking about the Lord coming for His church. He can't stop talking of God's plan for you. 
I mean, I look here in, in chapter one. He, he doesn't even get to the end of the chapter and he jumps in with and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who will deliver us from the wrath to come. Jesus is coming in the clouds for his church and he's going to take us out of here and then he's going to pour out his wrath on a Christ rejecting church, a Christ rejecting world, excuse me. And then in chapter two, he says, for what is our hope at the end of the chapter, our joy, our crown of rejoicing? Is it not even in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming for you are our glory and joy? And then at the end of chapter 3, he says, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all of his saints. It refers to the second coming. Now, where people get it all messed up, and we'll deal with this in the further weeks, is that the second coming is not the rapture of the church. They're two different events. One, he's coming for his people, and the other time he's coming with his people that's the difference the rapture he's coming for his people he comes to the clouds he calls up us out of the place and we're with him we're changed in the twinkling of an eye and then he pours out his wrath on a, a christ rejecting world and then he rides back with his saints all of his saints guess what how many have don't have never ridden a horse you will and you'll be good no hander but we will be coming back with him. We're going to watch him set up his throne. And oh, what a day will that be. But meanwhile, let me close with this. We're going to have trials. We're going to have tribulation. We're going to be persecuted. We're going to have doubts. We're going to worry. We're going to get discouraged. We're going to be anxious. But in Romans 8.18, Paul said this, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. God will finish the work He started in every single one of you. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank You for that reminder. We pray for strength right now. Pour out your spirit on all of us, Lord God. We're all asking in our hearts for a fresh refilling. Holy Spirit, overflow. Overflow. Use us. Give us divine appointments this week, Lord God. Lord, draw us closer to you. Lord, help us to get the junk out of our life and to live for you, that you'd be glorified in our actions. If there's someone here today you don't know Jesus, would you ask Jesus into your heart right now? Just pray in your heart right now. You may be watching on video you may be listening on the radio you whoever you are you know so if you need Jesus right now say Lord I need you forgive me of my sins I believe you died for me paid for my sins on the cross I believe you rose on the third day and I ask you right now to make me a child of God to empower me with the Holy Spirit. I'm asking for that free gift of salvation that you're offering to me. Jesus, save me now. If you just prayed that in your heart, you're a child of God. God bless you. God bless you. 
And Father, for the rest of us, I pray that you help us to put away our pride and be used by you 100%. We ask this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys.